to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short. And as always, I am thrilled because I have my amazing co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Hello, hello, everyone. I love your microphone, by the way. It's so great to hear your voice. <laughs> Thank you. I just got this new stand so that big old arm, remember, that was in the way before is no longer a problem. Now this thing works like a little dream. So thank oh, you, good. dad. So you again. Have, yeah, you have a stand like I do then. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's good. I didn't even so know that. to I go just- now. okay good (laughs) perfect that's great yeah if anyone like has followed our show from the beginning you can just hear the progress and quality of nani's audio audio yes so now you can like really hear her and like really hear what she has to say so i'm just really excited i I feel like i'm not the douchey person with the microphone anymore you know now we have two people (laughs) with the microphone no i'm the douche yeah we're together together (laughs) yeah together we will be douchey and as your mic is sponsored by your dad my mic is sponsored by my husband so there you go we have douchey people in our lives just kidding Shout out we, to the men in our lives <laughs> you know <laughs> you're not douchey just kidding we love you we're the we love you ones yeah i mean no we're not douchey but anyway let's go ahead and move forward <laughs> We have some announcements, as we always do. I used to do this pre-show without Nani, but now I'm going to do it during the shows. So to our listeners, if at any moment you feel compelled or you feel like the show resonates with you, we want to hear from you. We have a phone number and you can text us at 415-484-8329 or the acronyms TFAW. So once again, that's 415-484-8329. So if you put that phone number on your phone, just feel free to even text it. Just say, hey, I got your number, you know? And uh, you can brag that you got a girl's digits. So if you want to do that, that's totally fine. So anyway, that's our phone number. And Nani and I, and I had mentioned this in a couple of our previous episodes, that, you know, we are starting to set or really practicing setting social media boundaries for ourselves. So we are not as active on Instagram as we used to be, because we are investing more of our time writing you love letters in our newsletter. And so if you want to be a part of our newsletter community, if you want to, you know, get the latest updates and you even want to contribute to it, check out the show notes of this episode or visit our website at tfawproject.com. That stands for the Philippine American Woman Project.com. So we've been rolling out a lot of exciting things this season, season two. And so if you want to stay on top of that and all that jazz, please join us in our newsletter. This show would not be possible if it wasn't for our sponsors. One of the sponsors actually mailed me a mug right here. So Raza. <laughs> so thank you, Raza, for this mug. So basically, Raza is what we use for our newsletter. And one thing I like about our newsletter with them is that we can just kind of upload a bunch of articles on there and the newsletter tailors it to our subscribers. And so if there's a certain topics that you're looking for, it curates with AI technology, it curates the articles based on your interests. And so that's one thing I really Really like about that with our sponsors. So if you want to learn more about Raza, check it out in the show notes of this episode or visit our website at tifaproject.com. Okay, so I've been on a mission to encourage more of our listeners, Nani, to leave reviews because ever since that one-star review, it reminded me that I need to talk about it more. <laughs> and so if you have loved our show and you want to share with the world how awesome our show is, leave us a review, a five-star written review specifically on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Podchaser is kind of like the Yelp of podcasting. And so you could actually find that link if you want to go on that route on our website as well. I say a lot about our website because our website's awesome and it's new for season two. So if anything, you know, if there's anything you get from these announcements, it's to humor Jen and check out our website at tifaproject.com. Nani, anything you want to add to the announcements? 
Nope, I think I'm good. Sweet. All right. Well, we are really excited. I'm especially excited because I have personally asked this incredible woman to be on our show. So we have here, let me tell you, international motivational speaker, actor, writer, producer, manifestation mentor, and soon to be author, Nicole Mashali. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jen and Nani. I'm so excited. I've been hearing about your show forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about that. So tell us how you heard about the project other than me inviting you and what compelled you to say, yes, I want to be on this show. Um, well, I think it was JL. So you interviewed her. I don't know how many months or maybe even, I don't know, a year ago. I think a year ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know with COVID it's like days equal years to me. So it seems like a long time ago. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So I heard about it through JL and then I found out that my former client, Josephine was your sister. And I was yes. like, Oh, this is not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. And you know, fun fact about that last year, was it last year? Yeah. Last year I was telling the family that I really wanted to invest in a coach of some sort, whether it's a business coach, a life coach, the specific part of it didn't matter. It was more so of like a coach. And I was asking them to help me, <laughs> to help me raise money because there was a coach I had in mind. She actually gifted me your coaching program. And so if it wasn't for my sister, so shout out to Josephine. I believe she listens to these shows. She tells me on occasion. She doesn't like, you know, she doesn't outright tell me she's like my number one fan or anything, but I do know she listens to these shows. So Josephine, thank you so much for introducing me to Nicole and, you know, that program. And I'm sure we'll get into it throughout our conversation was really impactful for me because at the beginning of the year, I was going through a lot of personal changes, <laughs> a lot of personal things. And it was just great to share that with you and also be in community with other women of color. So that was a really awesome experience to, you know, do that in an eight week program. And so thank you for that and for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. And I have to say a lot of my clients, especially Panais, are like, oh, I love that podcast. Oh, you need to be on this podcast. So you have <laughs> lots of Panai fans that I know of. And I'm sure they're oh. super excited that I'm finally being interviewed on this. <laughs> they're yes. like, about time, Nicole. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm just glad you said yes. <laughs> I was like, she's gonna, I hope she says yes. I'm going to manifest her saying yes to me on my show. <laughs> so now you're on my show and everyone will be thrilled to hear you. <laughs> well, Nicole, when we do the show, we are constantly expanding our definition of what it means to be a Filipino American woman. And so right now, just right now, it's like I said, it's constantly changing. We identify Filipino American women as individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronouns she, her. And we have also had the non-binary narrative on our show as well. So Nicole, can you just tell us a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman? Sure. So I have sort of an unusual family background in that I'm third generation, meaning my grandparents came and immigrated here in the 1920s. And my parents were born in San Francisco, California in the 1950s. And so I have a long legacy here in California. And not only that, but both of my grandfathers, which I just found out this year, which is crazy, came to Seattle first in 1927, wow. a month apart from each other. And they're oh. from the same island in the Philippines. Wow. So I thought that was like such a crazy synchronous yeah. thing that happened the same year in Seattle. And then they both came 
came to San Francisco around the same time. And they were known back then as the Monon generation, meaning older brother and Ilocano. And so that generation in the 1920s sort of started Manila Town in San Francisco. And a lot of SF State students will know it as like the I Hotel and Mabuhai Gardens and the pool halls, all in downtown San Francisco area before it was gentrified. Mm. And so ever since the 1920s, my family has a long legacy of Filipino-American culture and history here in the Bay. And my grandma was friends with Larry Itliong, who started the um, strikes and worked alongside Cesar Chavez. My uncle was there as a kid. He remembers being at the meeting in Delano when Larry Itliong passed down his position to Cesar Chavez. So it's just been like a crazy blessing to say that my family has been here for so long and has been part of American history. And I think especially living in New York for eight years and being amongst the Filipinos on the East Coast, I think it is truly an a very unique blessing in that a lot of East Coast Filipinos don't realize how much history we have here as Filipino Americans. And not a lot of them get to learn about our history here because ethnic studies, especially Filipino-American classes and history classes amongst Filipino-Americans aren't really a thing in the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Whereas here in San Francisco, my uncle actually helped start the School of Ethnic Studies at SF State through the Third World Liberation Front and starting the very first Filipino-American collegiate club ever in the entire country. And that's called PACE. And that started in 1967. And so, and it's still going on 50 years later. So now on the West Coast, you see all these like Filipino clubs and PCNs Mm. and, you know, Filipino history classes and now even going into high schools here in California. So I think it's such a blessing. And that's like such a legacy for me to like fulfill with my family And I'm very proud of the fact that my family has been here for generations and done so much work for social justice and for Filipino Americans. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's amazing that, you know, it's like you have your family here and just like what you said, like they were involved in making history, you know, for the Filipino community. And so when did you realize that you were in a unique situation? Like you weren't just third generation Filipino American, but like realizing that it's not normal to have a family such as yourself that was so involved, you know, in the community, in the Bay Area, in California in general. Like, when did you realize like, wow, like I have a a pretty kick-ass family? (laughs) It was definitely in high school. So like in middle school, I hung out with Filipinos, but mostly hung out with Chinese Americans because I was a nerd. (laughs) All (laughs) honors classes. Nice, nice. And so in my experience, I really didn't understand that until I hit high school and all the other Filipinos, most of their parents came in the second wave, which was like the late 70s, early 80s. So I would constantly get judged for not speaking Tagalog and not understanding Tagalog. And Mm -hmm. their parents would constantly be like, why don't you speak? And I had to explain to them, well, my family's been here for so long. Both my parents don't speak. I speak more than actually my mom and my dad. (laughs) Wow. And then it was then I think I was in conversation with my mom and feeling guilty and and full Mm -hmm. of shame that I didn't speak Tagalog and ask her, well, why didn't you ever teach me that she was like 
sat me down and showed me all these documents uh, about my uncle and his involvement with the Third World Liberation Front and also mm-hmm. the student strikes in 1968 at SF States, which was the longest student strikes in the history of America, oh. that there's something to be proud about being Filipino American and for having a family that did so much community activism and work for Filipino Americans. I mean, even my grandmother, when she first came here, she would help the Monongs with their immigration papers because she spoke really good English and she helped pass legislation on the Senate level to help Filipino dentists not have to go through schooling all over again in order to practice here in California. And she helped do that. And Mm. there's her signature on the law and everything. So my mom showed me all those documents and she really instilled in me to be proud about where I come from and our legacy of our family. And I think after that in high school, I sort of released my shame about not knowing Tagalog and really like embraced all the changes and history that my family helped with. And so after that, I was like, all right, I'm going to SF State because that's where it all started. That's where my uncle had his legacy. And that's where he started his own Filipino American Collegiate Club. And Mm -hmm. since then, I was like, this is very unique. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with owning and being proud of my uniqueness. Yeah, I think it's one thing to be proud to be Filipino. And then I think it's a whole other thing to be proud to be Filipino American, because that is a unique culture in itself. Just to add on that, I think that a lot of people kind of confuse Filipino with Filipino American, especially as it relates to our history, because there has been such a lack of record of it. And so for you to have come from a family, not just of like one person that was super involved, but so like it sounds like all of your family was super involved. I can't imagine like what a powerhouse that made you into And I'm just curious when you talk about kind of getting rid of the shame for not knowing the language and other kind of like cultural barriers that you ran into outside of your family, like what is your approach when you are kind of communicating with people outside of your family that maybe don't understand, you know, the significance of our history or, you know, what we've had to go through to get to this point? You know, before it used to be defensiveness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sounds about right. (laughs) Y'all don't even know. And that's like, I get that from my mother, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I interviewed my mother recently and she like went into this whole rant, like these (laughs) Filipinos now don't understand what our family had to go through. You know, like when my mom was growing up in Daly City, like this is Daly City where nowadays it's like you can't walk Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't walk a block without running into a Filipino. But in the 60s, there were no Filipinos. Mm, None. Yeah. It was just my family. Right. And so now it's huge. And I mean, they even call it like Little Manila. Right. It's like mm-hmm. the second most populated area of Filipinos outside of the Philippines and Daly City. And so before, yes, I used to be very defensive and like, how dare you? Like, y'all don't even (laughs) understand like the civil rights things that my family's had to go through and sacrifice for, Mm -hmm. especially since because of my uncle's involvement with the Third World Liberation Front, he went to federal prison for three years. He was a yeah, he was a political prisoner for three years because the FBI had a file this thick of him. Mm. 
and any chance they could put them away to sort of show the other civil rights leaders in San Francisco State at that time, like, if you continue to do what you do, this is what's going to happen to you, right? And so after that, prison really changed him, and he wasn't as active, and he wasn't as proud Mm. to do the things that he did in the late 60s. I'm and so it is a lot of sacrifice. And so now I, I come to people with more of like an open mind oh. and a little bit more grace yeah. for their lack of knowledge and sometimes just straight ignorance of American history and politics and Filipino American history and politics mm, here right. in America. Yeah, you have to meet people where they're at for sure in those types of conversations, but that can be you know, a tough lesson to learn when you are so personally involved in it for whatever reason, you know, for you, it was your family's history. I'm curious in you talking about your grandpa, if you've had conversations with him or other members of your family about the anti-terror bill. So both my grandfathers passed one passed before I could even meet him. Hmm. And he passed away in the Philippines, I think in the late seventies mid 70s and the other one passed in 1999 so they weren't around to see the terror bill that's just been passed but my grandmother and both actually all my grandparents have passed away but my grandmother on my father's side was very anti-marcos and she would tell us how it was in the philippines under his dictatorship Mm. so i feel like it's somewhat similar now yeah no i asked that question because specifically for that reason to me at least are like identical ties between what was happening then and what's happening now just in a more developed way i guess you could say but yeah i'd be curious on your family's thoughts about that and you know what their suggestions would be on how you can that's kind of what i'm grappling with now is how to talk to people about the impact of that and get them to really realize how that affects, you know, not just people in the Philippines, but also Philams here in America. Yeah, I think it's just also indicative of what's happening in the world, not just in the Philippines, but even here in America Mm -hmm. and how (laughs) fascism is a real thing that is happening all over the world and our right to say anything, especially the truth is in jeopardy. Mm. And even things like this, like a podcast about people speaking their mind and speaking facts, I think is also in jeopardy. So that's something that not only we have to watch in the Philippines, but we have to watch here. We have to speak our truth and we have to not be afraid and we have to be courageous and sort of master our fear. I mean, MLK had this huge sermon about the mastery of fear. And a lot of it is not to be rooted in fear, hate, but be rooted in love and understand that when we're rooted in love, then we can overcome anything that we are scared of. And so I think that's just a beautiful reminder, especially for Filipino Americans that have ties to the Philippines and also here in America dealing with what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and just the fascism with Trump. Exactly. Now is like all these movements are coming to a head, I feel like, and we're seeing how like connected, interconnected all of our struggles really are. So it isn't, you know, just about the Filipino American community or things that's happening in the Philippines. It's also Palestine. 
is Black Lives Matter. You know, it's all of these things, again, that we're seeing come to a head at this point in time. And I think that's a really important point to note is the aspect about instilling fear, you know, like how you said your grandpa after he got locked up was, you know, not understandably not as um, passionate or willing to put himself out there in the public eye like that. And I think a lot of people are probably also feeling that way right now with the anti-terror bill being recently passed. So great story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's actually my uncle, but (laughs) sorry, uncle, my bad. (laughs) But one of the last things that he told me before he passed away last year was I did a lot of interviews of him before he had his stroke. And one of the biggest things that he told me was to be a channel of change. Mm. And that was his calling for him to become a channel of change and not to be afraid to speak his truth. And for whatever form that comes to you, whether it's creativity, whether it's speaking in front of people, you know, and being a leader, because no one else was, he literally went around SF State campus and just went to every Filipino and was like, you need to join this club. (laughs) You're a Filipino. You're joining this club. I love (laughs) that. (laughs) He's like, it doesn't matter. You'll find out. You'll find out. (laughs) Yeah. But that's how it started, you know, super grassroots, super guerrilla marketing. But it's like, that's how you start change and so that's been my inspiration for almost everything that I do now I love that that just gave me goosebumps or I love how your uncle had told you to be the channel of change and you know going back to the importance of why we do what we do here at the Tifa project is while we have the platform while we have the opportunity you know who knows what's going to happen i mean there's a lot i mean there's a lot of conspiracies of you know these big social media platforms taking down certain voices you know and i just feel fortunate that for whatever reason you know 60 plus episodes later probably 70 episodes at this point we're still up we're still on air and i just think that while we can do that we should be the voice of change we should share our stories we should you know show people that we matter and we have a space here here, you know, in America, and we need to share our knowledge and our inspiration to one another. And so it's extremely important now. And I think, you know, this year alone, 2020 has really shown that really highlighted that, you know, we were never really planning to get to this place on the show. I was never expecting to get political or anything, but I'm glad we're here. I'm here for it. You know, like I'm, I'm glad that we're in a space where people want to listen, you know, and more importantly, people such as ourselves want to speak up so that people could listen to us, you know. So speaking of which, Nicole, why don't we talk about what you're doing today? You know, as someone who has this wonderful legacy of your family, what does life look like for you nowadays? And you're welcome to answer this pre-COVID and current COVID. So my friends termed it BC before COVID. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So my life BC was I was acting in New York and going to auditions. I had my comedy pilot that had just premiered in New York Asian American Film Festival last year last summer and my executive producers are pitching it currently to the streaming networks and you know we're in the process of doing that having meetings while I'm acting in New York and auditioning and booking commercials and I had just booked a commercial in LA and I was about to fly 
across the country and then COVID happened. Oh no. <laughs> oh, good old COVID. Congrats on that opportunity anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So it sort of like put all the productions that I was working on and about to work on, on pause. Um, and I think even now, LA and New York, they're sort of all the production companies and the studios are all sort of like starting from ground zero about how do we do this? Even I was getting emails from some production companies that were like, oh, we would love to hire you, but here, sign this waiver that if you get COVID, we're not responsible. And it's just right. like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't no. think so. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. So wow. I took it as a sign I've been wanting to move back to California for two years. And so I took it as a sign from the universe that it was time to move back. And it was time mm -hmm. to sort of reposition myself and reinvent myself as a creative and a creator. And so I made a decision with my husband that I would move back to California while he's working in New York. He does something completely different in sales. And I wanted to really focus on my writing and just writing and also teaching my course, my online course, Manifesting Magic, that deals with a lot of attraction principles. And so it really was a sign from God that like, this is the time now to focus on these projects that you've been thinking about for 10, 15 <laughs> years, but yeah. just haven't had the time to sit down and write. And just yesterday, I started writing my book and I got up to 2000 words nice. and I have my outline and everything and it's just flowing out of me. So now post COVID, I'm really taking this time to just go with the flow and understand my path now. It's sort of like this whole metaphor of a phoenix rising and not allowing COVID and this time of, I think a lot of people think of it as a struggle mm. yeah, and not allowing myself to see it that way, allowing myself to see it as a time for reflection, a time for pause, a time for remembering all the things that I forgot about myself and my family. And what's beautiful is that not only did I find that fact about my grandfathers, both of my grandfathers, but just recently, one of my uncles was like, I'm doing all this research now on your uncle, Pat, the one who I was talking about earlier. And mm -hmm. he like literally went down the rabbit hole of like our family's legacy. Mm. Wow. And he's written like this 17 page document of like our family back to like great, great, great grandfathers. Wow. Oh, man. And, How cool. And it's like huge research that eventually I want to use for a movie about my uncle. And that's something that I've been wanting to do since he was alive, a movie about him, sort of like a la Hidden Figures and Forrest Gump. It's like Hidden Figures meets Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> and also just to highlight like the importance of Filipino American history and knowing our roots here in America. So yeah, post COVID, it's a lot about research, remembering and writing for me. And also just utilizing this time to connect with my community and especially women of color. And I know you said, oh, I, I didn't expect to go political with this, but I think that was my 
outlook on my course in the beginning, like four years ago, it was like, I don't want it to be political. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I want it to be like friendly for everyone. And now at this moment, I'm like, no, I don't care if I just (laughs) do my course. It needs to get political now. Yeah, it needs to get political. I need to be super honest that I am anti-racist and I am all about dismantling white supremacy and toxic Mm -hmm. patriarchy and colonization of our peoples and that I welcome Panais to do my course and I welcome women of color especially to do my course and eventually buy my book (laughs) (laughs) to help in their journey of remembering their power and also decolonizing. Yeah you know I think part of getting political and part of like why I feel like I'm able to start taking a stance on things is because I have learned more about my own, you know, personal history and because of the stories that I have heard, you know, throughout the show, it it just seems like I have discovered a common theme of, you know, us feeling like because we were colonized, we have been conditioned to feel not good enough or feel like we need to stay within the lines, you know, the Maria Clara archetype, look it up, you know, like all of that, <laughs> I'm going to dismantle all of that. And so if I do become political, it's like, well, I mean, if you, if you listen to all the shows, you know, where all that's coming from. It's really because of just what is going on in our community today and, and what we are all, the ones that are speaking up are fighting for. And I just want to be here for that. You know, I just want to create that space for us to speak up and speak out. And so that people who maybe haven't found their voice yet can find the verbiage and the language they need to use their voice as well. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why people like you are so important in our community, because for most of us, at least for me, I don't have a lot of context into my family's history. Like I know when they came here and I know generally where they moved about and, you know, eventually ended up settling in. But I don't know what they were doing or what they cared about or what they're passionate about. And you know, if they plugged into any of these kind of movements back in those days. And when you don't have that kind of personal connection to it, it's hard to plug in, I think. And so it's really important for people in our community, like I said, to have access to people like you who do have that context and who can make those ties for them. So yeah, it's just such an honor to hear you speak today. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I just keep blowing up Nicole. <laughs> just keep edifying I'm just her. fangirling over here. Yeah, we're just fangirling. That's how we're doing. <laughs> Nicole, you know, from what I know of you or what I have learned of you so far this year, you mentioned already that you were living in New York for eight years. And I think this story is really important for our listeners to know. What inspired you? You know, what was the catalyst for you to be like, I'm going to leave San Francisco. I'm going to go to New York. Yeah. So, (laughs) so I remember ever since being 12 years old, wanting to be an actor or creator or something to do with TV and film and growing up, you know, you have that childlike wonder, right? And you think anything is possible. And then you go through high school and then you go through college and you hear all this conditioning that you, you can't, you can't do that because there's no darker Filipinos mm. on TV. I remember distinctly my grandma telling me I couldn't do that because mm. the only Asians were Connie Chung and Lisa Lu, and I wasn't Chinese and I wasn't rich and I mm. wasn't light skinned enough to be on TV. And so I put those dreams in the back of my head and I pursued news broadcasting because it was much safer right as an asian american woman and so i did that i worked for abc7 in san francisco for five years 
was associate producer. I worked in the news department for the morning news and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. There are some people that are really nice, but I hated what I was doing and it just didn't feel in alignment to who I was. And then I switched careers into PR and event management. And I did that for seven years and I was really good at it. And I remember feeling like this is not what I want to be doing, though. You know, I was still involved in the community. I was part of Bindle Stiff Studio, which is the only Filipino-American theater in San Francisco. They're still going mm-hmm. strong on 6th Street. Mm-hmm. And I owe a lot to them as far as helping me tap into my creativity while I was working. Because, you know, after work, I go and do shows and like learn about stand-up comedy and directing and writing. And I would act on stage, but it wasn't something that I was doing full-time as a career. And then the summer of 2011, I got a phone call and it was my stepmom. And she said, your father is in the ER and you need to come quick. Oh God, oh, it's already starting. <laughs> I remember driving to Seton Hospital and I remember saying in my head, I'm not losing my father today. Yeah, he'll be fine. And he went in for a throat infection, which sort of spiraled out of control. And an hour later, he was in the ICU. He had suffered a stroke. And then a couple of days later, we found out he was brain dead. He was in a coma. Mm And we had to make the difficult decision to pull the plug or not. And he was already brain dead and there was no way of reviving him. And so my mother and I decided that it was time for him to transition. We waited four days before we made the decision so that people could say goodbyes. So we could say our goodbyes. And he passed away in July 2011. But the thing that I remember most about that was a month before I had spent Father's Day with him. And we hadn't spoken for months because we were sort of estranged. Mm. We weren't seeing eye to eye on certain things. And so a month before, he actually like apologized. And he said, I want to see you for Father's Day. I want to take you out to lunch. And for whatever reason... On that day, I decided to record our conversation. Wow. And so I have video of him telling me, you should go to New York. You should follow your dreams of becoming an artist and never stop doing your art. In his words, never stop doing your art, man. And follow your karma, man. He was such like a teaching Chong like character from the 60s. I love it. He was so adamant about me following my love and just going for it and not just staying comfortable here in San Francisco because my family was here and Mm -hmm. I had a good job and I had health insurance. (laughs) And so after his funeral, I made the decision, you know, fuck it. I'm leaving everything behind. I left a one bedroom apartment in San Bruno that was $1,200. Now you could never find that. (laughs) Yeah. Never again. (laughs) Not in the Bay. (laughs) And then I moved to New York and I didn't have a job and I didn't have an apartment and I Mm. didn't have family and I didn't Mm. have manager or agent or anything in New York. And I just was like, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to take this risk. And life is so short. My dad didn't know he was going to die at 52 years old. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, and I don't want to die thinking I could have done something different if I had just taken the risk, if I just jumped out of my comfort zone. And so that fact that he like told me all that and the fact that he passed away so suddenly was sort of like a catalyst for me to take a risk and to believe in myself and to not let other preconceived ideas or other people's projections for me to hinder my belief in myself and my belief that I can accomplish my dreams. And that sort of also segue into one, being a creative full-time in New York and two, starting this whole course of law of attraction and being a living testimony that this works really. Mm. It's about what you believe and what you think and all the thoughts and actions and beliefs that you put behind in your life and that you put your energy and focus into And because I started just to believe I can do this, I can Mm -hmm. do this, the world started to change around me. And so now Crazy Rich Asians is like one of the top grossing rom-coms, right, in Hollywood. And now you're seeing the Black Lives Matter movement and all these Hollywood execs are like, oh, people of color stories. Yeah, we want this. Colin Mm -hmm. Kaepernick just got a multi-million dollar deal with Disney four Mm -hmm. years ago that seemed like outrageous. Mm Mm-hmm. No one wanted to support him. Right. And now it's like Disney is Disney just put out Blackest King by Beyonce. Like, yes. Wow. <laughs> I haven't even seen that. We would have never expected even just three years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think for especially women of color to step back into our power and understand that even if the world is not ready for what you believe, who cares? Like, focus on what you believe, focus on what you want, focus on what you want to manifest and what you deserve, because the world will eventually come when it's ready. You know, just keep working on yourself and keep working on your own inner belief system and remove anything that is not serving you anymore. Because once I did that, boom, all these like magical miracles started to happen and experiences and people And I went from being like super depressed my first year in New York and having to work five jobs (laughs) as like a waitress and, you know, helping a real estate company and doing temp work and living in a shitty Harlem apartment. So like four years later, booking one of the biggest acting jobs of my life and traveling around the world and living in this beautiful Brooklyn brownstone and meeting my life partner. So it really is a testimony that law of attraction works and you just got to take risks. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes as fortunate as it is, sometimes we, you know, we do need the catalyst of having lost someone, you know, to take that leap and realizing like, wow, we don't have a lot of time, you know, and, and I'm kind of curious for maybe part of the reflection a lot of people are doing in the pandemic right now, I think part of a reflection might be regret. You know, they're thinking like, man, if only, if only I had done this before the pandemic started, like I thought I had more time. And so I can only imagine what the new normal will look like, like whatever new normal we end up getting to after this current new normal, will people take more chances? Will people stop? Will they let go of their limiting beliefs and just show up and be of service to other people and live their best lives? You know, it really gets you thinking about that. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about that. I feel fortunate that like, you know, fortunately the the pandemic hasn't 
hindered me too much. I, I mean, I could I have more of a social life. Yeah, sure. You know, but other than that, it's like, it's really a, a time of reflection. And I just appreciate you sharing all that you did because, you know, you didn't need a pandemic to, you know, to do all that change. And I always love hearing the story of, you know, like a daughter father relationship, because you probably know this through my sister. Like we lost our dad when we were really young. My sister was only five and I was 10. And so um, I just think it's such a blessing that you were able to, you know, capture that last moment with him, that video of him talking to you and encouraging you. Cause I can only imagine how inspiring that is to replay that when you need it, you know? And so it's beautiful. It, it, everything that you share is beautiful. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just in awe of you and I'm so glad that you are here today to, you know, share your story and give us a pep talk, you know, <laughs> to get to work. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, my her lashes right now are convincing me <laughs> to like get to work. <laughs> great. Yes. Um, just to add upon that, I'm sorry about your dad. That is so really sad and unfortunate the way that he had to go. And similar to the time that we find ourselves in now, a lot of people, like you said, see it as a struggle or they see it as, you know, an obstacle in the way of whatever their life used to look like before. And in order to come out of this on top, it does require you to really shift your mindset, like you said, and just want to add that growth doesn't come when we're comfortable. Growth mm. comes from pain and discomfort and tension right. and, you know, hard moments like the loss of a loved one. And so it's just inspiring to hear that you took that and used it as motivation because I know a lot of people can fall into like depression or, you know, go the opposite way and not want to do anything about it. So, yeah, I'm sure that he's looking down on you and is super, super proud of you right now. Oh, yeah. He visits me all the time. <laughs> I love he it. He comes to the forum of hummingbirds. And ever since I came back to California, I have seen them almost every day. And I'm like, mm. OK, Dad, I know this is a reminder. I need to be writing right now. OK, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Constantly, when he was alive, he'd be like, you need to be writing your stories. You are a voice of your generation, man. You need to be writing your stories because, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Cindy Lauper, they did their shit when they were writing and they didn't wait for anyone to tell them what to do. And you need to just write your stories. Oh, I and wish so, we could have met him. He sounds so cool. He was, really, he was really cool. And I do miss him a lot. But just to sort of also go off what you're saying, Nani, is that there's so much lesson through pain. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've learned so much through my painful moments. There's this meme that I saw the other day and it was sort of like everyone sees success as you're in the middle, failures on one side and the success is on the other. When really you're here, this is failure and then this is success, mm -hmm, right? So it. you sort of have to go to, through pain and failure to reach that milestone of success. I take it one step further in that your journey, every part of your journey is success. And so even that part of failure that we're so scared of yeah. and so don't want to be a part of and in, that's still part of your journey. Yeah. And I don't think I'd be where I am today if my one, my father hadn't passed away, unfortunately. And also I didn't struggle so much in the beginning mm. as a New Yorker, uh, a fresh faced New Yorker, super naive. <laughs> and 
had no idea what a New York winter was or having to struggle through seven jobs. <laughs> My sister told me about that. Her first year was really hard for her. <laughs> It was so hard. And now I look at my life and I'm like, it's still going. And I still haven't reached all of my goals or milestones. But my Uncle Pat was also like, when I was complaining about it, like, oh, I'm almost 40 and I don't have all the things that I wanted. And he looked at me and he was like, you're not dead. Like you can keep going. It doesn't mean like you you're go. dead at 40. Like, yeah, there you right, go. You know, like just keep going. You never know if it's going to be right that next year, that next month, you know? And so that's my reminder to both of you and that like you're super young, just keep going. You know, life is not promised. And it's also just a reminder to appreciate the moments that we do have because I think COVID also has taught us that. Yeah. And that who knows what's going to happen with our own lives and with the state of this country and the state of the world. And really, it's just this present moment that we have. Yeah, I do think that the pandemic has really shown people that just like what you said, this moment is really all that we have. And quite often, if I do have a sense of regret, I remind myself, I have a mantra that I tell myself, I say like, you know, I did the best that I could and what I had with the time that I was given. And I tell myself like, you know, if I had a better idea of what to do, I would have done it, but I know I made the best decision, you know? And, you know, obviously we don't know where the future is headed, but that's okay. You know, that's okay because we have our health. Like your uncle said, you're not, we're not dead yet, you know, so far so good. So let's just keep going. Let's just keep showing up and try to be the best version of ourselves. Exactly. Um, I was just going to add to my little analogy and just say that flowers can't grow without rain. So right now we're in a rainy season in terms of, you know, how people are looking at opportunity. Although I think to Nicole's point, it really just takes you kind of wanting to save yourself in that sense, because nobody can do it for you. We're in a time mm. of literal isolation, like mm. nobody can shift your mindset, but you. So unless you make the choice to do that, you can't grow flowers. Powerful. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to like draw a flower next to me with rain <laughs> and remind myself. That. Yes. Ladies, I feel like we dropped so much knowledge today and so much inspiration. I, mean, I going. Yeah, <laughs> right? I was going to say, I was going to say, let's just keep going just a little bit more because I know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we could be like Joe Rogan and just, you know, go on for hours. Like he's, he's crazy. I want to eventually, like, I hope I get to a place one day where like people are willing to talk to me for that long. <laughs> <laughs> like on a podcast show, that would be super awesome. But um, Nicole, so as we wrap up, you know, clearly you have, like I said, you dropped a lot of knowledge and inspiration and hope and just lessons. But if there is one more lesson that you would like to share with our community, to our listeners and fellow Panais, Filipino American women, what lesson do you want to share with them? And why is this lesson so important for you to share? Oh gosh, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. And you can list a couple if you want. That's fine too. Cause I know in our notes here, you listed like a lot or you're like, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much, <laughs> so much to list. So feel free to share the one that you feel like is very like most important in this time today. I sort of want to piggyback off of Nani again in this beautiful metaphor of flowers, right? Mm. I do get a lot of clients who are at that point of growing and they're still in this space of hopelessness. 
Right. And I think it's important to remember that when that flower is growing, it begins in the dirt as a seed. Mm. Right. And it's surrounded by darkness and it doesn't know when it's going to pop out of the dirt, you know, but it needs to continue to believe in itself and it needs to continue to focus on growth Mm. and absorb as much love and rain and water and beauty as it can in order to get from that seed, in order to pop out of that dirt and finally see the sunshine, right? And I feel like a lot of us, especially women of color, are still in the dirt, right? Mm -hmm. And we're still regaining our power. And this lesson here is that it doesn't have to be just on you. Right. To remember that you have spirit and whatever you want to call it. Right. It's not my place to judge what your spiritual path is or your connection to God. But you have spirit, you have Holy Spirit, you have higher self, you have the universe that is helping you grow, that is helping you through that dirt and through that darkness towards the sun. And that has also helped me throughout my life to remember that I don't have to do this alone and that I have the power of my Holy Spirit and my higher self to help guide me when I feel hopeless and when I feel devastated and when I feel like, what am I going to do? And I have no direction Um, that God is always there for me, that the universe always has my back, whatever you want to say to yourself to remind you that you have that. And I think that was a huge lesson of decolonization for me this year Mm -hmm. was that as Panais, we had that in our matriarchal culture before colonizers came and sort of ripped that from us. And that we had the Babylons to tell us about that and remind us of our spirit and our connection in nature, our connection to God. And that no one, not one thing, not any person can rip that from you. And you will always have that. And that's a power that a lot of white supremacists want to take away from you. And so to remember that, I think, was a huge, huge lesson for me this year. And because of that, I feel even more protected and even more guided in my journey as an author, as a creator and as a mentor for other women of color. So, yeah, I think that Filipinos specifically are ahead right now. I feel like we're coming to this. We're stepping into this time where we're looking at individualism versus collectivism. And Mm. by way of our culture, obviously, we Mm -hmm. are like the owners of collectivism, or at least we practice that, you know, just by nature of our culture, like I said. But I also wanted to add something about continuing on the flower analogy. It reminds me of something that Jen shared with me a week or two ago about a dream she had where she was like lying in the dirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up. Don't say how I got that dream, though. No, 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 no. A dream you had. You yeah, just yeah, had I had a dream. dream. You just had a dream that you're yeah. lying in the dirt and, you know, you were like looking up at the flowers. And she was yeah. telling me when she was telling me about it, like, why doesn't anyone ever think about like, you know, that uh, basically changing your view, just like your analogy about success, how failure is actually in the middle and -hmm. success is actually over here and you start here. It's Mm -hmm. like, why do we always look at the flower from the top down and think, wow, that's so beautiful and just expect it to be that Mm -hmm. way, just expect it to be there. But we don't appreciate the growth that it takes and the rain that needs to, you know, fall in the dirt. And so the roots have to soak it up in order for it to grow. Like you have to, 
lay in the dirt kind of and watch that kind of happen and look around and see that there are all these other flowers in the same boat with you you know you're not alone like you said so anyway that was my oh my gosh thank you for sharing that I totally forgot that I shared that with you (laughs) (laughs) but I'm glad that you brought that up and you know this conversation just validates why I've chosen a flower as the logo for Tifa project I mean actually the flower on the Tifa project and you know I'm probably gonna like update this as we you know progress and stuff like that but it's supposed to be the San I can't pronounce it San flower the national Mm -hmm. flower of the Philippines and so I feel like if anyone ever asks like, oh, why did you choose a flower? I'm just going to take copy from this interview and be like, because of that. <laughs> because of that. <laughs> and I had a dream. <laughs> I just normally, because I was just yes. in bed and I dreamt. That's it. Yes, no other reason. Exactly. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Maybe on a secret, on our future membership program, you'll find out what I mean when I say that. But anyway, Nicole, thank you so much for your time. I mean, I just feel so fortunate that my sister met you and she introduced me to you. And I'd like to believe that you are an inspiration to many women of color. You know, you are like the epitome of what many of us, I think, want to aspire to be, which is, yeah, to be a creative, you know, to build something out of passion and not just follow that normal route that so many of us feel you know, compelled to doing for all good reason. We all have our reasons for doing it. It's just nice to see someone who decided to take that leap and be the best version of herself. And even today, it's still an ongoing journey for you as you now are in the process of writing your book. So for people that are interested in reaching out to you and learning more about you and the good stuff you're doing, how can they do that? How can they find you online? I just had a meeting with a social media manager. (laughs) So... Just for simplicity, they can go to my website, NicoleMashaLee.com, or they can find me on Instagram through at NicoleMashaLee. I also have a spiritual-based IG, which is Don't Call Me Woo Woo, <laughs> which will eventually be my promo IG for my book. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll just say a little thing about why I chose Don't Call Me Woo Woo. It's because white culture has totally culturally appropriated so much of the East Asian and Asian spirituality practices. And so when people in college would call me woo-woo, it just didn't sit well with me. Mm. And now I understand why it was like, no, because I'm returning back to my original spirituality before we were colonized. And this is not woo-woo. It's not new age. This was, this is ancient wisdom given to us by spirit. So (laughs) get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember in the beginning of our sessions, you had mentioned that the whole woo-woo stuff does come from people of color. Like that's where it originated from. And it just so happens that the white colonizers appropriated it, you know, for our society, which is like, it's so crazy because I have like a number of white friends and they're all about like going to the shamans and like going to Mexico. And, you know, even my husband, he went to see a shaman for an entire week and he did the Abigail and all that jazz. And like him and all his friends were like all about it. And I was like, I just think like, it just didn't like, I don't know. I just thought it was so funny that like how American society has appropriated a lot of things that have originated from colored people. And I just, you know, like how right now with Trader Joe's, they're like, you know, renaming a lot of the ethnic type of products that they have there because they were trying to make it cool for like white people. And now it's like, nah, not anymore. Like, like you need to like name it right. (laughs) You know, so it's interesting, like even organic, for example, like I'm trying to think of like a good example of like what's organic. And it's like, man, we've used that in the Philippines, like all the time, you know, like, like there's a lot of examples where I'm just like, 
like, how is that cool? Like that's like super cheap in the Philippines and you're like overcharging it here, you know, but anyway, that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> People are hungry for culture here. Right. Yeah. Now, now it's cool to be cultured. So that this exactly. is why we have a show like this. It's time to show up and be like, yeah, we're cool. You want to be like us. You want to be dark skin like us. <laughs> cool, we're cool. We want to be mixed like us, you know, like Nani. I'm trying to add Nani to the mix here. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Nani, I want to check in with you if you had any closing thoughts for Nicole. No, just thank you so much for sharing and being such an inspiration. I hope that lots of our listeners take something from this conversation and yeah, use it in their daily lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that said, Nicole, thank you again so much for your time. It, it was an absolute pleasure having you on our show. Thank you. I will also add hashtag the future is female. Yes. <laughs> hey, yes. Grateful to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a blessing. Yes. And to our male counterparts, don't forget where you came from. You came from a woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nani, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. Of course. You're most welcome. Awesome. And to our listeners, thank you all so much for listening. Once again, if you want to get a hold of Nicole, check out our show notes or visit our website, tforproject.com. With that said, we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.